0: And I think what the arts can do is to open up conversations between people who feel differently about these things and that maybe have different understandings, different perspectives and different opinions about our environment, about those common goods. It seems as if light has come in and is expressing itself through shining
1: on darkness. So it's quite an upheaval. The reason I call it a fulcrum year into transformation is we've all had to go inward as we all talked about and are able to observe what we've done what we've done to nature
2: hi and welcome to articulated i'm sarah mundy and i work as an archivist here at the archives of american art this podcast receives support from the alice l walton foundation this is the third in a four-episode series on the visual arts and healing co-curated by fernanda espinosa a National Endowment for the Humanities, Oral History Association Fellow. Each episode explores perspectives from practitioners whose work blurs the borders between nations, communities, self, nature, and time. To listen to the first episode of the series, go back to Season 3, Episode 3. Over the past three years, the
3: COVID-19 pandemic has reshaped our understanding of physical, mental, and communal health. Through distance and isolation, we evaluated our relationship with one another, raising questions of belonging and interconnectedness beyond individual experiences. As we enter the fourth year of the public health emergency, we also approach the third anniversary of the Archives Pandemic Oral History Project, which comprises more than 80 short-form interviews. To gauge the state of the arts at the onset of the crisis in 2020. To commemorate that project and to reflect on how the world has evolved since, we have invited four artists to reflect on healing and belonging in their work, which we have put in dialogue with the Oral History Collection. In this episode, you'll hear from two multidisciplinary artists based in California whose lives and work have crossed borders and whose practices raise questions about the boundaries between our environment and ourselves. This episode is divided into two parts. In the first part, you'll hear from our guest artist, Carolina Caicedo, as she walks me through current reflections surrounding her ongoing research project, Be Damned, her ideas around healing and reparations in terms of environmental justice, why art can be a platform for different conversations, what she hopes to achieve with her work, and the transformations that she observed in 2020. And in the second part, you'll hear excerpts from a 2020 interview of Lita Albuquerque conducted by Matthew Sims for the Archives Pandemic Oral History Project. In this interview, Lita shares experiences and perspectives as the health emergency started to develop and provides a view into her thought process and inspirations. Part 1 Carolina Caicedo, The Environment Beyond a Scenario. Welcome, Carolina. Thank you so much for joining me in this interview for the Articulated podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell me more about who you are as an artist?
0: I'm a Colombian visual artist living in Los Angeles. I was born in London in 1978 from Colombian parents. And uh, I moved back to Colombia when I was six years old. I went to art school in Colombia, graduated from art school in 99, then moved back to London as a young adult and a budding artist and started my career there in London. In 2005, I moved to Puerto Rico in the Caribbean, a colony of the United States, lived there for seven years with a one-year intermission in New York. And in 2011, I moved to Los Angeles. And I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I use uh, different mediums, sculpture, performance. I also work with communities and socially engaged practices. I do drawings. I do artist books. I've worked with film and sound. And my work in the last decade has examined different environmental issues, especially around extraction and how communities resist. So from an environmental justice perspective, and before that, have always been kind of entangled in different social issues, migration, motherhood, and, you know, social justice issues.
3: share with you that these series of episodes are in part to commemorate the start of the pandemic during that shift there were some overarching themes of health and healing and maybe the difference between those two as well thinking about that why do you approach reparations in the way you do through your work
0: Those reparations, that healing that has to do with remembering the kind of relationships and original natural contracts we have with different entities of nature, restoring those original contracts of reciprocity, of protection, of taking what you need, but not taking until depleting, until complete extraction, are pathways for us as humanity to stay in this planet. So, there's like a consciousness of survival in the very bottom of it. As a mother of two, a teenager or a young adult and a toddler, you know, it's inevitable for me to think about future generations too. What we do in the present, how does it affect future generations? And like understanding that my responsibility as an adult in the present is to take care of those common goods. That are natural entities that I prefer to call common goods, because that's a way to make sure that those coming generations will have access to those common goods, which are basically our sustenance. In our previous
3: interview for the oral history, you spoke about a project that you've been working on for several years. Could you please say more about why you started doing that project and why you think it is important to do that work with communities?
0: Be Damned is an ongoing framework for research and practice that allows me to both work, close, and learn from communities on the front lines of environmental justice that are resisting extraction, specifically about rivers, construction of dams, and allows me also to then kind of process this learnings, process this fieldwork, and present it to different audiences within an artistic context. And I think that there's such a polarization even within the same communities that I work with, because a lot of the folks in these communities don't have any alternative, but work for the same companies that are extracting their territory, right? So even at a very local and basic and starting point of the project, there's a lot of polarization or conflict, you know, which is also these contradictions are kind of the base of our colonial and plantation kind of culture, if you wish. For me, it's important, and I think what the arts can do is to open up conversations between people who feel differently about these things, and that maybe have different understandings, different perspectives, and different opinions about our environment, about those common goods. And I think the starting point, a conversation as a starting point, is needed because otherwise, other decisions cannot happen. Right? If we continue to headbutt ourselves against the other instead of reaching out and saying, "Okay, what's our meeting point?" We will never find. Solutions, real solutions, equitable solutions, right? So I think that the art definitely is a kind of platform to ignite these difficult conversations. It also allows for people to see and to consider other perspectives that perhaps in other arenas, like political decision or legal arenas, or even mere educational arenas, they won't even consider. But through visuality, maybe understanding at least perhaps even empathizing with these other perspectives and other experiences of these problematics may be a starting point for finding those middle points or encounters. Or what I try to do with artistic practice also is to tap into other, not only intellectual, but maybe sentimental and emotional aspects of the audience that is important to wake up to. Waking up those emotional aspects is part of a healing, of remembering, part of what we call in Spanish sentir pensar, like to feel, think, and to be able to ask the audience to do both that, feeling and thinking together. You know, they're not inseparable. They're actually always kind of weave together. And to remember to feel, think, is already a starting point for healing. And to remember, you know, Through a document like a visual artistic piece or written piece or a video or sound piece, to remember certain things that have happened is important, right? Because remembering, creating a historical memory of stuff and creating an environmental historical memory of things that have happened is a first step for the non-repetition of that violence that has been perpetrated either to a community or to the environment itself. So the environment is not only a scenario of things that happen, but is also a victim and a survivor of certain violences.
3: And if you could please put into words, although I know it's very hard to do in a short interview, but what do you hope to achieve with the kind of
0: work and engagement that you practice? So when this art illuminates pockets of our society and of our reality and of our stories and our communities that are not violent but positive, that are change-making even at a little scale, when art can highlight those aspects i think that's good for all of us to remember that not everything is violent because that's not the case there's so many people working from true love from looking forward imagining other worlds i think art is a very useful tool to contribute to the construction of environmental historical memory as a way for non repetition of these structures of power and violence. So to kind of construct these alternative histories, which are as truthful as any history, or as weird, or as malleable, or as complicated, those perspectives and those histories that are not included in hegemonic narrations. Again, tap into the emotional world and possibilities of an audience in a world where the emotional is not political, the emotional is not intellectual, the emotional is considered weak, right? Or the emotional is not a tool for struggle or battle. Tap into the emotional strength and possibilities of a community, of an audience, of a society, and kind of allow us to remember through these processes of art interaction, that there's a strength that humanity carries in that emotion, in that, you know, universe of emotions that we can feel empathy, anger, dignity, break down the hierarchies that exist within the art world themselves and maybe implode <laughs> from the inside. Those structures of who is an artist, what does art look like? What is good art? What is bad art? Who participates of those spaces of privilege that are museums or galleries or art markets? Who has access to those? Also safeguard a little space for other things to happen within this art world that can reflect so many of the structural violence that our society has
2: too.
3: And I'm going to shift a little bit to questions around the pandemic. In the interviews we conducted back in 2020, we had asked artists to reflect on what had changed for them, as well as how it had changed them. How has it been for you? How has it changed you? And what changes have you gone through?
0: You know, the pandemic is very paradoxical for me because... While the whole world was experiencing death and misery, the more vulnerable, and I'm speaking about the whole world, like the majority of people, no? Of course, there's a there's a 1% that perhaps didn't experience those things, or until a certain extent. But the majority of people were experiencing losses of their loved ones, losses of their jobs, or their livelihoods, an erosion of their rights. In my family, I gave birth to my second child. I gave birth at home, taken care by an excellent midwife and the company of my partner, my elder daughter. We, With my partner, we produce a whole body of work that has been successful in the sense that it has been exhibited in different venues across the United States. And we received excellent funding to pursue this research and to finish this body of work that includes a film, a couple of installations, you know, and it has, it has shown in university galleries all the way to a place like MoMA in New York. So important venues. It's, it's been a moment in in my career where I've received a lot of attention and where I've had important solo institutional shows with good funding. My first monograph was published in the United States. I received a couple of like important Latinx grants. So I was part of the inaugural cohort of the US Latinx Fellowship, which kind of anchors my voice as a migrant Latina in the conversation of American art. And so it's been an important couple of years or three years for me, both personally and professionally. How I have changed intellectually a lot of growth, I feel I've changed and, and became more aware and be more careful with the decisions I take in terms of my career. I've learned to set boundaries more clear. And I'm in a process of learning to not overcommit. And then maybe what has changed drastically is the set of questions. Or what I'm questioning myself about. And, and that has to do with becoming a mother during this moment of the pandemic and of the career. So understanding that when you're experiencing success in the art world, it's very easy to get sucked by this success and become disconnected from certain things. The fact that I had a child was a way to connect back and to pay attention to the important things. Yeah, like around sustenance, basic sustenance of another human being. And in that sense, a general Sense of being responsible of sustenance for, <laughs> for the world, for the planet, and I think this question has started a few months ago. But I think it's the result of this whole process of pandemic and these three years, and then you know the baby growing up and whatnot. It's like, how do I want to do art? Where do I want to do art? And under which structures do I want to do art? And who is at this moment establishing those structures for me? Or am I actually building those structures myself, or am I actually complying to a set of expectations and structures pre-built? Who am I making art for? How am I the artist of my neighborhood, right? If you think about smaller community settings, what can an artist do for their neighborhood
3: And the other part that I was trying to think about when I was conceptualizing this series is the question of belonging. I know for me, during the pandemic, this came out a lot. So I am wondering how that showed up for you. Uh, What's your sense? And uh, what does it feel like to be you in this country? We need
0: a diverse planet in all its senses. If you think about an ecosystem, an ecosystem that thrives is a diverse ecosystem. The more diversity in terms of the species that interact with each other, the more healthy that ecosystem. And the same for our human societies. The more diversity in in sense of backgrounds, cultures, gender identities, or you call it, the healthier our societies would be. And the fact that there's a bunch of us that has this transnational subjectivity that we can call ourselves from here and from there and from over there too, is healthy for our societies. So I understand that I bring health to notions of nationhood, to notions of identity, because I bring diversity, a pluriversal perspective to notions of identity that can be so closed and so rancid. There's a beautiful book by a Haitian-American writer called Edwidge Danticat, Creating Dangerously, The Immigrant Artists at Work. I think it's called that way. And I read that book a little bit before pandemic. She had, when she was writing the book, this questions about belonging someone who lived, I think, New York, I think, or East Coast, also with deep roots in Haiti, and always being questioned by one side of the other, like, how can you dare talk about Haiti from your privileged position in New York or when she's in New York? How can you dare talk about the United States when we have like received you here and given you all these privileges as an immigrant and you have been able to study and make your career here and whatnot? And she expresses this to an elder, to a mentor of her, And this guy tells her, well, you know, you actually have the right to speak about those two places because you have one foot in Haiti and you have one foot in the United States. And that gives you the right to speak critically about both places. And so this sense of rootness in a single place for for a person like me or you or any transnational subject doesn't make sense because we have roots in many places and our roots are connected to other people that have the same migration stories. And and you know, I, I'm a third generation migrant. It was the the sisters of my grandmother left Colombia in the fifties to travel for work. So this is not a new history. It's kind of already in my blood in a way, you know, and it has reflected in my life. I've lived in Colombia, in the United States, in Puerto Rico, Los Angeles, in New York, in London, So I feel like I have the right to speak about all these places that I've lived in and that I have contributed to as a subject, as a political subject, as an artist, as a citizen. I have the right and the responsibility of providing a critical account when needed.
3: Part 2, Interview with Lita Albuquerque, Us and the Cosmos.
4: So I'll just start by asking you, how, how have you been? How are you well, weathering the pandemic?
1: I had all kinds of anticipations, as we all did about 2020. But for me, I really feel that this is a transformational year and that the way we're getting there is not the way we would have expected I'm really interested in this cultural historian. His name is Thomas Berry. He wrote a book in 1999 called The Great Work. He's no longer with us, but he was saying how we're at the end of the old story that started 2,000 years ago and that we need to create a new story and that that new story is of us in the cosmos, which made my heart sink, since that's really what, what my work has really been about, that kind of perspective. And then he talks about, there's three universal laws. The first one is of multiplicity and diversity, the fact that everything in the universe is unique. The second one, which really has taken my attention, is that everything, everything, has an interiority and a subjectivity that expresses itself, that is continually expressing itself. And the third one is through that subjectivity And through that diversity, we're all interconnected. So I have experienced this period as light itself expressing itself in a much greater way than, I mean, I physically, I feel that. I mean, I've always taken the pulse of that kind of energetic things going on, but it seems as if light has come in and is expressing itself through shining on darkness, all of this. So it's quite an upheaval. And also the reason I call it a fulcrum year into transformation is we've all had to go inward, as we all talked about, and are able to observe what we've done, what we've done to nature. And so I was able to just observe nature, and all of us felt this, how it came alive. You know, like our, our retreating, all of a sudden nature comes back very quickly. And I think that's a very important point. Whether or not it's going to stay that way is something, obviously, to be seen. But I think one of the things that's happened is it's really been a very interior time since since the lockdown. We've all had to adjust, you know, being home with husbands, wives, children, you know, all of that. But obviously as an artist, it, it isn't that different in that, that is what we do. But in my case, my I wasn't here in the studio in Santa Monica. So I was able to kind of settle in. I, I really had time to dream, really had time to write.
4: Kind of nature tentatively is trying to figure out, wait a minute, can we spread over into these areas now? Is it safe? So it's interesting to, to wonder what the future holds.
1: Yes. Yes. It certainly is a time that makes you think about our effect our effect on the environment and, and you see it very rapidly. And I think the fact that we can be quiet, we can be in one place. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I'm in this nature place to begin with, but to be able to see what, what we do to the environment and, and then what do we do about it?
4: The environment is a, is a catch-all in a way, but you've been interested in environmental systems, relationships from macro to micro, temporary uh, psych-specific performances that you've done so I can understand how all of this would resonate in a very personal and aesthetic way for you in terms of your practice has it pushed you in new directions or that in addition to thinking and in addition to having that moment have you thought of ways that oh this is something I want to do to respond to that in my practice as an artist
1: I have thought in terms of opera, you know, the idea of really performative, narrative, operatic. One of the things I've been doing is editing this film. It's a series of of films I'm making, and the next piece I want to do is going to be in Africa. So I'm I'm just beginning to develop what that's going to be. So I wouldn't be surprised if it encompasses it on some level.
4: Uh, I was interested to hear you mention the work that you had done for Desert X in Saudi Arabia, that had to do with sound and listening. I'm just interested in that because you work on many levels. Your work is so complexly and finely integrated. And then I was just wondering about about the question of sound.
1: One of my first loves was dance and then theater. But I went into the visual arts and then I wrote, I started really writing and I had this text for quite a while and didn't quite know what to do with it. I thought it was going to be a book. And then I started incorporating that into my work to be inspired and to inspire. I think we all have that as artists and we all have that as human beings. So yes, definitely the piece at the, at sunny at desert X in 2017, I was so thrilled because it was the combination of writing the libretto, uh, singing the Los Angeles master chorale was singing. There was music that, uh, someone I collaborated with did the music. There was the choreography, there was dance, there was then the sculpture, then there was the performance, but then there was the sight. And every single one of those things were equal, which was really fascinating to me. It was like the living painting, the music, dance, performance, color, costuming, all that had equal say.
4: And the idea that at the center of this was this body, female body, that had its ear to the ground. At first, we weren't quite sure what the posture was, and then it was, oh, listening.
1: At Desert X, she was listening to the earth, She was, but she was also telling us to listen. For me, the piece at Desert X, the first one, was a very political piece. It was one of my first political pieces. It was right after the election in, in 2016. It was in
4: 2017. I did want to give you a chance to say anything else, if you had anything else that you wanted to say about 2020 and...
1: Well, the main thing I want to say is for people not to despair and to take the opportunity to go inward and to revolutionize themselves. And I think what's happening in the social, political, well, I won't go into politics, but in the social is is incredibly positive. And having everyone able to express themselves. I mean, it's that whole thing going back to everything in the universe, whether it's a human being, an animal, a rock, a planet, a galaxy, light, air, expresses right and so we need to allow for that to happen and i think we're doing that i think we're in process i mean it's a lot of work and it's been going on a long time and i think this is the beginning of something extraordinary and i do want to conclude with this i've spent the last five days packing up the fire archive the objects that my friend amy sue had put together at at lauren bond's place of the remains of what you had seen and it was an extraordinary experience yesterday was the last day and i feel i'm at the beginning the ending and the beginning of a new completely new phase and it's like one has to be in the moment now we have to be now can't be burdened with any notions of the past and and yet understanding history and understanding the past but to really be in the moment in in order to be able to to survive, but also in order to be able to inspire.
4: And to take advantage of this moment. And to
1: take advantage of this moment.
4: You've used the word revolution several times, a turning, a kind of a movement around, starting, but also up and out, perhaps. Like you said, into a new moment.
2: This podcast is produced by Ben Gillespie and Michelle Herman at the Archives of American Art. It was edited by the team at Better Lemon Creative Audio. Her theme music comes from Sound and Smoke composed by Viet Quang and performed by the Peabody Wind Ensemble with Harlan Parker conducting. For show notes, works cited, and additional resources, visit aaa.si.edu articulated. The Archives is especially grateful to Fernanda Espinosa for curating this episode and to Carolina Caicedo for sharing her wisdom and strength. An extra special thank you goes to Lita Albuquerque and her luminosity. If you enjoy Articulated, please consider rating and sharing it. The Archives of American Art at the Smithsonian Institution is a nonprofit organization that relies on donations from individuals like you to sustain our ongoing operations and special programs like articulated to support our work please visit aaa.si.edu/support thank you